1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, he as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank my wife for uh, reading the text. Can you guys hear me okay? Good. Yes. Leave it to Walter. Okay, I think she's kind of beautiful. Appreciate her reading this morning. I'm excited about preaching the next couple of weeks for you. We're going to begin a new series called Forward Principles for Thriving Churches in Today's World. Are you in a rut? You feel like you're in a rut? Maybe you're in a state of paralysis because of the circumstances that surround your life. God's churches can feel the same way. And I'm hoping the next two weeks that as we look at these Acts chapter 1 primarily, that we can move forward for Jesus because Jesus doesn't want us in a rut. He wants us to get out. He wants to over, uh, us to overcome any paralysis by moving forward in our mission for God. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus shared a very important principle when he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. The, the true vine is the source of life and vitality. And I hope that the next two weeks that we can tap in to the source of true life and vitality and thrive, and that is Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at specifically a sermon called Forward in Our Mission, looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And in just a minute, I, I want to show you a clip of one of my favorite series uh, from Band of Brothers. Uh, many of you have seen Band of Brothers. It's it's actually quite old now, uh, but I usually sometime during the course of a year watch it. The, uh, you know, every year since it's been out, uh, I enjoy World War II history. Adam loves World War II history. Uh, we love this series of, of uh, short uh, films or episodes. 
about Easy Company and the 506 Parachute Regiment. And uh, they were given, at this particular clip, they were given a mission after being bombarded by artillery for many, many days and weeks uh, to enter a, a town that was heavily occupied by Germans to, to free the town, to occupy the town, to push the Germans out of that town. And what I want you to notice in this clip that there are two types of leaders in this clip. You'll see one who amidst the gunfire and the explosions has a sense of paralysis and he cannot move forward. Whereas another leader comes onto the scene and takes over. And he begins so confidently, begins to command people because he knows the mission and he knows that in order if he stays in this rut or he stays in a state of paralysis that there could be devastation or destruction, there is a need to move forward. So take a look. The building with the caved-in Of Lieutenant Dyke and paralysis, a fear that, that could be devastating for your life, or one that amidst the, the, the chaos and, and, and the circumstances knows what's ahead and moves forward and experiences victory. I want to experience victory, don't you? And victory is experienced only in Jesus. And it's experienced as we obediently follow His commands. So I want us this morning to be able as a church family, a church body, understand that look at our circumstances that are around us that we're experiencing today. The political unrest. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're, I, I'm just going to say this. I know COVID's still around, but, you know, when it first came on, I mean, it, it just caused havoc, Right? That will be the last time you hear me say COVID. Yep, not going to say it. But what's next? There's always going to be a next. There's always going to be a next circumstance that we face. But can I say this, that no matter the circumstances, no matter the times, our mission has never changed from the days of Jesus. It's never changed. 
You see, what we're looking at this morning from Acts chapter 1 is a time in which the disciples, think about what they experienced. They left everything to follow Jesus. They gave it all up for three and a half years. And then they saw him die. They were devastated. And then he raised again from the dead three days later. That probably shook their world as well. And then he's on the earth with them for 40 days after his resurrection, and now he's about to ascend. And Jesus did not want them to stay in a rut. He didn't want them to experience paralysis, but he gives them a mission to do, a mission to perform, a mission to go forward in. One that he guaranteed that there would be success and victory. He just wanted them to obediently obey. That's, that's redundant. He wanted them to be obedient. So this morning, we're going to look at a few things that will help us see the reason to move forward. First of all, we are instructed to move forward. We are instructed to move forward. You see, what we have is we, have a, we are given a living example. Here, Luke, Dr. Luke, a companion of the Apostle Paul, wrote this second letter to a friend named Theophilus. By the way, Theophilus kind of gives us the idea that his name means lover of God. Lover of God. He is the same recipient that Luke wrote to in his gospel. As he says here, his former treatise, or the first book. And he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. You know what I found this interesting? The word order. Luke didn't say all that Jesus began to teach and do. He says what Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus was a living example that he lived it out first before he taught others. By the example of his life, he demonstrated how we are to live and to breathe and to move forward and to function. Think about everything Jesus did from everything from ministering to people to facing the hostility of the crowd. Jesus didn't let the circumstances around him to cause him paralysis. He just did. He just went and he was obedient to his father. He gave us a great example. He showed us how it was to suffer even when following God. And you know, in following God, there's sacrifice. Sometimes we face difficult times. I was sharing with the home builders this morning that when we are obedient to Christ, it doesn't mean everything's going to be blissful. We're going to face times of hardship and difficulties because the world despises Christ. And if we're living for Jesus, the world 
who's going to hate us well, hate us as well. So Jesus was a living example. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for to, you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So we are instructed by what Jesus demonstrated for us. You know that old saying, what would Jesus do? That's not a bad saying. Many times I think about when circumstances arise and decisions are being made, I look, well, what did Jesus do in this circumstance? He's our example, and we are to follow. But we also see that we are given practical teaching. Luke says, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Think about the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount to the richness of the parables to even instructions about end-time events. I love how Jesus would, you know, they would be entering a circumstance and he would enter that teaching moment with his disciples. Do you understand what happened here? Jesus was about instruction and teaching he lived it first, and then he taught it to his disciples. He taught us how to live life. I love what Paul said to Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. Amen to that. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live life, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. He died upon the cross that our sins could be uh, forgiven and we could be granted eternal life. And he taught us that, look, don't live like the world. You need to live godly. You need to live morally. You need to live righteously because I've changed you. I've purified you. I've cleansed you. And I've brought you to my own. You belong to me, a sense of ownership, hoping that you would be a people who are zealous for good works. I love people who are passionate for Jesus. We should all be passionate for Jesus. Do you realize what Jesus Christ did for you? You know what he did for me? <coughs> Excuse me. Do you know what he did for me? He saved a 17-year-old boy from a wrong path that could have been very destructive. Changed my life, and for some reason, I'm still questioning the wisdom of God on this, he called me into the ministry. God has a sense of humor. Thank you. I'm glad you're in agreement. Meet me in the lobby after. Here we go. 
That is true, Walter. But God wants us zealous to do good. He wants us zealous about the mission, His mission, for us to be involved in. And He taught us how to do it. He lived it. He taught it. He demonstrated it. He instructed us. And now we're to do it. We are given instructions concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God said he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after his resurrection, now Jesus had already taught them things about his death, about his resurrection, about mission. But he spent a lot of time after his resurrection talking to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God, one of which is what we refer to as the Great Commission. We read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to notice, he said to them, well, who's them? Who's there? His church. It wasn't pointed out to a single individual. He told the church that I, am, I have all authority that's been granted to me. I want you to go. And wherever you go, wherever your feet may, 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 may tread, you're to go and make disciples. That's just not the pastoral staff's responsibility. That's the entire church body's responsibility. That's you and you and you and me all involved in making disciples, in sharing Christ, seeing people come to faith, then obediently following the Lord in baptism, we baptize them, and then we begin to teach them all that God told us to observe. In fact, if we're following the example of Jesus, we live it, we teach it, we're on mission to duplicate, to multiply followers for Jesus. We must move forward. No matter the circumstances, the political atmosphere, no matter how turned upside down the world becomes, the mission is still the same. And we're instructed to do it. So there's no excuse that we don't know how. We have the Word of God that tells us what to do. But we're also empowered. Not only are we instructed, we're empowered. Back in 1990, August, when my unit was alerted to go to Desert Storm, we had the worst Bradley fighting vehicles in the armed forces. No, no joke, my serial number on my Bradley was the 121st Bradley ever made. 
It was held together by bubble gum and 100 mile an hour tape, we also call duct tape. No joke. We robbed other vehicles for parts to make ours run and vice versa, and we're going to combat with these vehicles. Reassuring, confident that they'll last. But we load them up on the ship. There they went, we met them at Damam, Saudi Arabia. We unload them off the ship, we put them on trucks, we head them off to the border, we're in the desert, one transmission after another goes out, we tape them back together, and we're ready to fight. Yeah! But somebody knew that we needed to be equipped to fight a proper battle. So for Christmas of 1990, our unit received brand new M3 Bradley fighting vehicles with reactive armor, 25 millimeter chain gun, 7.62 coax machine gun, grenade launcher, tow missiles. Oh! I mean, this, this is a man vehicle, right? But we got brand new vehicles. Why? We were empowered to move forward in our mission. We were given the tools necessary to fight and to be victorious. And God has empowered us as believers of Jesus Christ to move forward in victory, not because of us, but because of Him. He's given us all the tools that we need. It is a promise from God. Notice what is said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So what he's telling them that, you know, wait about 10 days, then on the day of Pentecost, my promise, my empowerment, and I promise you it's coming, you're going to give the necessary power, strength, equipment, tools necessary to do everything that I've instructed you to do for the kingdom of God, you will advance the kingdom. Amen. It's a promise. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what Jesus was saying, look, you know, you, you're, you understand that John the Baptist baptized, immersed in water. It was a show of repentance. It wasn't for salvation. It was a demonstration that you came to faith in Christ. You repented of your sins. And similarly to that baptism, to that immersion, that on the day of Pentecost, he, they are going to, the church is going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit to empower them to do the work. In other words, Jesus is the vine. He's the source of vitality and strength. The Holy Spirit is the, 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 you know, part of the Godhead, the Trinity, and we cannot do anything apart from God. We need Him in everything we do, especially the mission. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work. Therefore, it's a mission that's possible. You like to play on words? I wish I had the theme song to Mission Impossible now. But because of the Holy Spirit empowering us, it's a mission that's possible. Notice what Jesus says, but you'll receive power. 
This power is what, the dynamis power. We get the word dynamite from or dynamo from. It's energizing power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the utter end of the earth. You'll be witnesses. You know what that word witness is? It's where we get our English word martyr from. That doesn't sound pleasant now, does it? You'll be martyrs for Jesus. You'll be witnesses. You'll be banner carriers, guide-on carriers. You'll be gospel uh, uh, presenters. You will demonstrate and teach to the world that you are my child and my children and that I love the world. And you're going to tell them. You're going to show them. And you're going to do it right where you are in Jerusalem. And then you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and unto the utter end of the earth. It's a mission that's possible, but you know where that mission begins? Right where you are. We discussed this a little bit in our home builders class, but the biggest mission field that each of us has is our home. Our home. Our children need to hear the gospel. They need the gospel demonstrated before them. They need godly behavior before them. Our children are our first mission field. Our neighbors, our co-workers. Maybe we meet someone at the grocery store. Maybe we're on the lake and we meet someone on the lake our mission field. Dr. Oswald Smith, he said, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. When our lights shine bright at home, when we put our efforts in the, in the work that God has called us at home, our lights will continue to shine brighter into the uttermost parts of the world. We train our children. We teach our children. You never know. Your child could be the next Billy Graham. Your daughter could be that, that, that next missionary that sent out uh, maybe to do medical mission work that with compassion and care cares for a village in some third world country and shows the love of Christ to people that desperately need him. Amen. Our mission work begins right where we are and can have a worldwide impact. But because of God, He's instructed us to do it. He's empowered us to do it. It makes a mission that's possible. A mission that's possible. And you know, we're here together as a church family because sometimes in life we like... I. You know, I got my family, you know, I, I, I'm struggling in my family. You know where to help one another? Encourage one another? Now look, I'm, I don't have it all figured out yet. I'm on a journey myself, learning to be obedient to God, how to be a good dad, how to be a good husband. Uh, I'm really loving the whole grandpa scene, you know, Papa. My grandchildren can't do no wrong. They can, but anyway... 
I got a great mission field. Then I got friends. I got fellow church members. I got neighbors I'm just now getting to know. They need to hear the gospel. And you know what? I believe it's possible. Not because of me. Not because I'm an eloquent speaker. You've all heard me. You know it's not. I'm not. It's not because of my personality. It's because of Jesus. He makes all things possible. We are encouraged to move forward. Encouraged to move forward. We are waiting. We are waiting, expecting Christ's return. As his disciples were standing there, as Jesus began to make his ascension, it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, think, think about from the disciples' expe- uh, you know, experience so far. They, they, they just saw the brutality of Christ's death. If that doesn't change your world, I don't know what would. You see them gathered together kind of in a, in a solemn meeting. Really, I don't know what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, some, some of the women who, who, who went to Jesus' tomb says, He's alive! We saw him! No. But it was Peter and John who ran to the tomb to check it out for themselves. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them, and they're in shock. And he stays with them for 40 days, teaching them. And I bet you they're excited that 40 days, our Lord is with us. And now he's leaving again. But they're given a promise that he's returning. Can I say that Jesus is coming back? We ought to be a people that is excitingly expecting his return. It's a promise. Now, I hope he comes in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure the apostle Peter thought he, Jesus was going to come in his. He delayed. We don't know the time or the hour of the Lord's return. We have no clue. But the promise remains. God is a God of integrity and truth. And what he says, he will fulfill. Jesus is coming back. And we ought to be a people that's expecting he's coming back. Well, with that expectancy, what the the angels was really telling them, look, you got work to do. That we are working until Christ returns. He says, men of Galilee, what are you stand looking into heaven? What are you gazing like in awe? Don't worry. Jesus, who was taken from you, he's coming back. But we got a mission to do. We're to work, as the old hymn goes, till Jesus comes. To work. Because Jesus is coming back. I added this verse. I don't have a slide for it, but if you'll just listen closely to, I think, one of the model churches in the New Testament who the Apostle Paul established, preached to, wrote to, 
In 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10, he says this. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. In other words, from Thessalonia, from Thessalonica, the word went forth. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. They're a pretty awesome church on mission. For they themselves report, this is, we are hearing from others concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In other words, they're testifying of how the people at Thessalonica has been, have been saved, how their lives have been changed and transformed, and it's making an impact in the region around them. But notice, they're also hearing, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what was this church about? This church was a church of a people who were transformed by the grace of God who labored and began to make impact in the region around them, all the while waiting for Jesus to return. They worked until he returned. They did not work right before his arrival. They worked the whole time. If they were still in existence, they'd still be working. I know sometimes, you know, as, as, as kids, you know, our parents would say, I need you to do these chores, and I'm coming home at 4 o'clock. So at 3.30, we decide to turn off the TV, put the iPad down, and try to rush to get everything done. Right, kids? Oh, no. Little liars. <laughs> Sinners. You need Jesus. Because I know children. Because I did the same thing. We can't be in a rut we can't be paralyzed we got work to do and an earpiece to put on people need to know jesus and who's going to tell them us and can i say that you're going to meet people and know people that i will not have the opportunity to meet go tell them about jesus and I'm going to meet people, I'm going to be introduced to people that do not know Christ, and I have the opportunity, I have the responsibility to share with them the love of Christ. There's work to do. So let's just think about some takeaways. We've received instruction, so we've got to get back involved in our study groups we need to be a part of listening to sermons we need a part part of the discipleship program we need to start with the word of god in our own home how are we to know what god would have us to do if we don't read his word you have help you're not alone on this journey you have all the equipment you need 
If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you have the Holy Spirit residing within you, and he's, in, he's trying to encourage you, he's there to equip you, empower you to work, to labor for him. There's a sense of urgency to work. You ever notice the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus himself? Repent now, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul said, now is the day of salvation. He didn't say tomorrow, he said now. There is a sense of urgency with all the letters of the New Testament that we got to move forward. People need to know Jesus. And we are the people here at Faith Baptist Church, one of many churches, commissioned to share the gospel. Amen. So when will you move? When will you move forward? It's time to get out of that rut. It's time to quit to overcome the fear that you might be experiencing. Like, you know, we, sometimes it's fearful to share the gospel with someone else. Do you not think that the disciples weren't fearful at times? Scared at times? But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Go and do. And there's no better time in the present right now to move forward I don't know where you're at this morning I don't know how necessarily God is working in and through your life but I know this that no matter where you're at here are some unchangeable truths God wants you to know him personally and intimately if you're here this morning not knowing Christ as your personal Savior, there's no, no better time than now to put your trust in Jesus. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. The Bible says, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the cross of Calvary was for us, not Jesus. But Jesus took it on, on upon himself and took our sin and nailed it to the cross with him that we can be forgiven of our sins and given eternal life. If you do not know Jesus, it's time to pull yourself out of the rut. It's time to move forward and accept him today. There's no better time than the present. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus and you desire to follow with him obediently, maybe you need baptism, Maybe you'd like to come and unite with our, our, our church that together, that we can advance the kingdom together, encourage one another. One more time. There's no better time than the present. Why put it off? Why put it off? Perhaps there's a young man in this room this morning that God's been dealing with convicting with, convicting you. I have a desire and a passion to preach, to pastor, 
listen to God and follow his voice. Surrender and be used of him. Maybe there's a young woman. You know, God can use any of us, men, women, old or young. What God desires is your surrendered heart, your availability to serve. So as we stand this morning, maybe you're here and you'd like to respond. We call this time the invitation. We invite you to respond to the leadership and the direction of God. If you need to know Jesus, I would love for you to come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you in God's word further how he loves you and how he desires you to be his child. Would you come? Maybe you're here this morning and you want to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you want to unite with our church. We invite you to come. Maybe God's been dealing with you. Maybe you have a, a neighbor on your heart and mind. Maybe it's a family member that God has put on your heart. Of, of, of you know, Maybe you need to seek wisdom. Maybe you need to ask God for strength. Maybe to get over a little bit of fear of how you might be able to reach that loved one. You can pray where you are or you can come forward whatever it may be. But the most important decision that we can make this morning is that we are going to be obedient to God. We're going to surrender to Him no matter what He's asking us to do. We need to move forward. Would you move forward this morning?